Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fortress of glory divine. Hair of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Sing the song. And this is my stone, hooray, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my stone, hooray, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Invitation song, page 947. Page 947. Page 560. First and last verse of page 5. Six zero. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadows or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth all everything, and all of my weary in vain. Sing the song, and we're living by faith. Oh, in Jesus above, and we'll trust in confide, hanging in his great love, yes, in his great love, from all harm in his sheltering home, in his sheltering arms, and we'll live in a by faith, we're living by faith and feel no alarm and feel no alarm. Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be whole. The Master so gently will lead us away beyond that blessed heaven. And we're He and Jesus above in his great love from all harm saying. In his sheltering arm, in his sheltering arm, and we're living by faith, we're living by faith, and feel no alarm, and feel no alarm, and we're living by faith, he and Jesus above. And we'll trust in confine in, in his great love, yes, in his great love. From all harm say, 
shelter and home, any shelter and home, and we're living by faith, we're living by faith, and feel no alarm, and feel no alarm, and we're living by faith, we're living in Jesus' upon. And we're trusting, confined. And in his great love, yes, in his great love. From all harm in his shelter at home. And we're living by faith, we're living by faith, and feel no Alarm and Amen, and we appreciate ever so much the um, participation and the sharing and of the development of our worship service and certainly those who are responsible for guiding us into meaningful and responsive worship and participation. And we always welcome you who are members of this great congregation uh, the blessing of being together in God's name and these anticipated moments. Those of you who have been away for some time or for different reasons, we're glad that you're back and we are hoping that all this is going well. And those families that's experiencing illness and suffering and sickness and even death, we uh, have you in our prayers as God continues to mold and to bind us together under the banner of the cross. We certainly appreciate those of you who are visiting with us today. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you would come again and uh, be with us as frequently as you possibly can, and we do all we can to persuade you to become a part of this congregation and be upon one of our members here, if, if at all possible. May God bless that to so happen and bless your life in every way. My wife and I were away in Augusta last Sunday, had a wonderful time, great time, serving as the guest speaker in uh, two services there for their friends and family day. And then dinner in the afternoon, they were glad to have us. We were happy to be there and appreciate the contribution that God allows us to make in all of those instances and occasions and all that God, how God is calling on us from time to time to uh, fulfill and project his will in the world. So we're happy about that. And we're always grateful for our real faithful members uh, that uh, really guarantee the operation of this church. I know God is strength above all of us, and yet he depends on us to serve as instruments for the uh, promotion uh, of his will. And we are thankful that you are there willing to bend and to lean in the divine direction to allow yourselves to be instruments of God because that's how God gets his work done through those whom he has created and given life, being willing to do as he wills them to do. So we are especially thankful for that and you accepting the obligations and we are excited about our fifth Sunday coming up. Uh, we, uh, this month is the fifth Sunday, a month with five Sundays. We always have a great time on that, our friends and family days and uh, other activities. And uh, the growing and development of our zone program, uh, some real inroads are being made there and we are uh, discovering a number of dedicated people to allow us to accomplish our objectives. Especially thankful to have our dear brother card from uh, uh, the uh, congregation in Birmingham, Alabama. 
happy to be here with us today. He's a visiting friend of uh, our own uh, uh, Sister Jones, Sister Denise Jones. You know, we, we're getting loaded down with Denise's in this church. <laughs> and um, our brother, brother uh, Gwen and I were talking the other day, and he got a wife named Denise also. And uh, he's at least three of them here. So I told him from now on, I'm not referring to nobody as Denise. <laughs> I'm going to call him by that last name so I get it straight and right. Because we, we got crossed up with that problem. So uh, we're just glad to have, have you here and glad to have him here visiting with us, her today. And we appreciate his presence ever so much uh, uh, from the uh, congregation in Birmingham where my son once worshipped. And... Uh, uh, others here who once worshipped at that congregation. One of the things that I uh, try to do, as I've announced that I'm trying to do, is give the congregation an insight on to where I'm trying to go. And uh, I think that perhaps I can be uh, better understood in that light. The church is in a uh, unique position and yet a difficult position. And uh, I try to do relevant preaching and try to do contemporaneous preaching that in, and the relevancy of Christ to us in our times. And uh, I see my task really is to uh, take a situation that we have and give it biblical identity and see how those men of God and people of God worked with problems during those times. And I confess at the beginning, this is not an easy task. It's especially when you consider our traditions, our ways of thinking, and uh, many of us thinking we came from God, thinking the way we think. We don't recognize the impact of, <clears throat> the impact of culture on us. Uh, for instance, if I had been born in Japan, I would be speaking Japanese and not English. And I would more likely think like the Japanese think. Uh, Russia, same thing. Uh, I think it was Russo, uh, educator, says that we come from God as a blank tabla rouser. Uh, and everything we are is what culture has put on us and clothed us in that. And, and, and I think it's very natural for me to think the way I think and it identifies with my creation, but in reality, it's not. Uh, I could thought altogether different. Had I been raised in a different family, I would think different. Had I grown up in a different section of the woods, we're different. And, uh, that's not to deny our history, who we are, but to make us aware of it and for us to allow us to free ourselves up to understand that we may have to make changes. And Christianity is all about change. And if that is true, then there comes a more difficult task, uh, Brother Eli, and that is how do we get folk to change? Because change is adverse to our existence. It brings in uncomfortability. And I don't think we've necessarily searched the scriptures to see how that issue was attacked. We like to think about Paul and Peter and those that's, like I did when I first started preaching. Just get me a sermon to preach. Uh, and uh, had no particular relevancy other than to the Bible, as I understood it. But our task goes beyond that is to bring God into the life of people in this day and allow him to give them solutions as he gave those folks solutions. And, and there's a lot of things that uh, hinder that happening and I want to try to speak to those today. 
as uh, Brother Banks has complimented me sometimes uh, in trying to communicate ideas, this is one of those days I'm going to free you up. All you have to do is hear what I have to say. You don't have to believe it. And that frees you to think about it. You're under no particular obligation. Uh, but I try to make it difficult as I can for making my preaching less controversial. Uh, lay the ideas out for you to consider. So my aim today is to move the church beyond the spirit of conflict. And uh, conflict is a part of our life and competition is a part of our lives. And, uh, and, 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 and we compete with one another and one of us win. We think we've satisfied God. And that may not be true. Husband and wife get to competing with one another and one wins over the other. It doesn't mean God's satisfied with that at all. It means the wife won or the husband lost or won. So I'm trying to get us to move beyond the satisfaction of competition and to look at the issue straight in to God and try to understand from God why you got me here. And what do I need to do to challenge us to see ourselves as divine instruments and allow God to use that instrumentality to accomplish his objective? Now, that's saying a lot. And that completes the sermon. <laughs> and you, you, you see this in the Apostle Paul. Paul is but an instrument in the hand of God. And the more we are able to free ourselves up to divinity, to God, the greater servants we can be. Man makes one choice. He can go one of two ways. Live for God or himself. And my challenge is to try to find out how I can more successfully live for God. So therefore, I try to speak to you today in sensible time on the church and culture. The church and culture, the world in which we live and operating in that vacuum and trying to be God's servant in the midst of that and finding out from God what must we do in the light of circumstances and time that would be well-pleasing to God. Our circumstances allow us to develop and sometimes hinder, to mention a few. I think that this church has one of God's greatest opportunities and one of God's most difficult tasks for where we sit. Because we got to figure out how to let God figure out through us to get his will done. We have a lot of ideas, but I'm not sure those ideas work. Matter of fact, I've seen them fail many times, you and me. So I'm not only interested in trying to tie myself into God, but to effectively tie myself into God, that he transmits his will effectively through me. And I believe every one of us are challenged by God to do that, else why does he have us here? If I'm a child of God, something ought to be going on here that God allows to happen that would not be going on if I were not a child of God. So that's the kind of deep stuff I'm digging at and you don't have time to fight me and understand it too. So I want to lay it out there as best I can and show you a man who walked through that. So we got this great challenge. And one of the challenges we have as people of God is to detraditionalize us. 
to get us out of our traditions that tell us what to do. And we've done it so long that way we have to be done that way. Somebody bring up a new idea, they run up against the tradition, not necessarily against right. So how can I, in my traditional role as a husband, hear my wife say something to me that doesn't fit that tradition and understand what she's talking about because first, my first response more or less would be, what's my role as a husband, okay? So I'm challenging us to consider abandoning the religion of stage traditions. Yes, sir. Just consider that. And we're asking that you consider stop competing with each other and try to serve God. And it's all right to serve God if what I think is wrong and what my neighbor is teaching me is right. One political thing that I'm into. And to respect divine teaching when it is articulated and placed in our midst. Now the gentleman I want to call your attention to is Brother Paul. In the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible says in Acts 17 and 16, if you brothers in the AV booth don't mind projecting that, that's the same scripture we read for, uh, for, our, for our reading of scripture. If you can flip that on for us, we'd be appreciated. And I'm starting back at verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. So here's the conflict he's in. When he, he's sitting there waiting for the team to catch up with him, but he saw something there that was not in con uh, congruence with God. And once I see something that's not in congruence with God's will, the next thing me do is ask, what can I do about it? Not only do I ask, what do I do about it, Brother Banks? God asks, how do I do anything about this? And I think a lot of times we miss the boat on the how. Sometimes we just jump on people and start trampling them. But I'm under the command of God to effectively communicate God's will and to address people in a way that would be gaining of them to Christ. So regardless how much I may differ with a man and dislike his position, God, Brother Jefferson, puts an extra burden on me, say, handle it calmly and responsibly in effect to change the man. And I know I might just jump in on his back and kicking him around. That's not going to do it. And because that doesn't do it, doesn't mean that I have the answer. But you, you're struggling for that. Paul is stirred by what he sees, and the city is wholly given over to idolatry. Therefore, he entered into dialogue with the people, disputing with them in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons in the marketplace with those that met him there. So he's, he's building conversational relationships. Now, I, I mind you that Paul didn't try to take any of those people and baptize them in the next five minutes. 
And that's not a strike against baptism. It's about the methodology. And the grave obligation that I have. I cannot afford to mess up a soul. So I've got to be careful what I say to him, how I relate to him, because God has sent me to him not to mess him up, but to lift the soul. And, 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 and I thought it would be a good thing for us to look at Paul in his uh, visit to uh, Athens uh, as to try to help get me some ideas. ideas. I, I've watched people all my life, and so often I get some ideas from them. Uh, I see how they do it. I say, hey, that, 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 that works pretty good. I hear, hear my fellow brothers here preach sometime in the pulpit and say, that, that stuff works. That sounds good to me. Uh, and I need to uh, consider it from another angle. And that's one of the advantages of, of fellowship. Uh, now, what was the, the next thing that interested me, the problem in Athens were the people who were philosophically in control. The problem with Simpson Street has to do with those of us who control the thinking and the movement of this church. Because if Brother Harrison got influence in this congregation, and you, hear, and you like Brother Harrison, if you happen to be that way, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, and somebody says something that's against me, if you don't watch it, your care for me will get in the way of what's said and you can't accept it because it's against somebody I like. See, we're governed a thousand different ways, and you got to thread, try to be threading through this stuff. So Paul, for some reason, Luke, the, uh, the redactor or the secretary of, uh, uh, who was recording the thing in, in, in uh, Acts, took time out to tell us some of those folk who constituted the crowd. Now, years back, when I read a book I read the Bible, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. I, if you're going to study the book of Acts, the whole section in the commentary, what it was, the introduction, I wouldn't read that. Because ain't, this ain't got nothing to do with what I'm, I'm just interested in the Bible. But, but what happened is people have done all the research and, 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 and bring us to that city, and it's not challenging what's in the text, but I guess I thought somehow I knew what the text was saying without somebody else's contributions. And even if I don't agree with those contributions, it's to my benefit to hear them so I'll know what's out there. People of the church and Christians and people who lead folk need to be very broad-minded. The more they know about the world, the more they can help people operate in that world. If I know this much about the world, that's all I can advise people on. And the next man knows that much about it, he's in better shape than I am. And the person who relates to him ends up in a better shape. And his children are more informed than my children. Because he's aware of a broader range. So that's why Paul, Luke, threw this in, I would like to suggest. I'm going to tell you now, I ain't going to get through, so I'm going to quit after a while. Because... <laughs> But, but, but kind of lay it out there for you to start dealing with it. Now, there was a, a group of people there, according to Acts, the 17th chapter and the uh, 18th verse, what was called the Epicureans. Two groups he mentions, Epicureans and Stoics. 
going to be wise to ask Mr. Webster what those two terms meant. Now, here's the constituency of their procurings. They have a philosophy that is founded on luxury. <laughs> founded on luxury, sensuous pleasure, eating and drinking. Those were the important things to those folk. So now, whatever Paul had to say had to run against that philosophy. And that philosophy would limit what they could understand. Uh, Epicureans held that the goal of mankind should be a life of pleasure. That sounded like some of us, doesn't it? <laughs> Give me some pleasure in all I do. A life of pleasure regulated, what well, didn't run free, it was regulated by morality, but natural morality, temperance, serenity, and cultural development. So these are the uh, hot rags of society. You know, they're not going to be out chasing the women and men around either. They have their own built-in morality. Uh, but the essentials, law can happen to me good in this life that I can enjoy it. Now, Luke mentions those folk because they're some of the folk that Paul had to come up against. If I'm talking to a crowd of people who believe in wife swapping, or mate swapping, takes a whole lot to fan through all of that because that, that, that kind of governs their thinking. And if they've grown up in that, they've from a child believed it to be all right. And I've been told all my life is not right. But here's one on this end, one on the other end. And the feeling of positions in both are natural to them. So you had the Epicureans out there. The other was a Stoic. I'll move on. The Stoics taught that man should commonly accept divine will. Whatever God's will, we just take it. And be free from emotions. Uh, Stick a pen in him, he doesn't move. He's free of emotion. Uh, they show austere indifference to joy, grief, and pain. Now those folk are in the crowd. But watch what they say. They encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler? Now he's already on the bottom ladder when he starts off with them. Bottom lung. They don't, they don't have no respect for him. And, and, and I have to realize that. I tell people sometimes when we're trying to handle the gospel, and I told you all free to think now. Just listen. All I want you to do is listen. Sometimes I'm trying to, well, I said in, I said in class at Emory University when I was doing my, my degree there, uh, and I explained a number of things about the church of Christ and how it operates, and my professor said to me, man, those folks crazy. Right in Christ. He didn't have anything else to do with that. said, why are you over there? He said, what you doing fooling around with them? I gather from that the philosophy, the understanding is, if you're trying to tell somebody about the church or the Bible and they think you're crazy, you've got to get back behind that. 
Because he ain't hearing nothing you say. Now, I don't like that, but it's still true. When I was teaching law school, I think I've told this before, uh, the dean of the law school's wife, who was the owner of the school, said to me on one occasion, says, Andy, an intelligent person like you, why do you believe in that fairy tale about Jesus being born and crucified and rising from the dead? Said, why don't you get smart? So I was behind trying to get her attention. It doesn't do any good to argue with an atheist about God because he doesn't respect them no how. So, <laughs> so now what I'm saying to us is we got to repack our bags. I, and, 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 and we are all subject to that. Even those of us who are faithful to the church, we got our stopping points. Well, you can't do nothing with us because where that hang-up is. And I need to understand that not because I have or do not have the stopping point. I got when, when, when my brethren are talking to me, whoever it is, I've got to try to be sure that I ain't hung up on something I ought to turn loose on. It's very difficult to believe another person may be right when you're absolutely convinced you're right. <laughs> Those two things just don't go together. But you, but, but you can back off from yourself uh, is, uh, and, and, and realize that I could be wrong on this, but that's just hypothecate that I'm perhaps wrong and, and try to reason from there. But, but that's the problem that Paul had. They did not believe in him. And, and why did they not believe in him? Because he preached the resurrection of the dead. The central theme of Christianity. The part that you are more foremostly converted to, and folk crazy. That's what these Epicureans and Stoics and so forth are saying. So I'm on ground zero with that man. Paul is. But what I like about Brother Paul, brother, he never stopped scratching. He didn't cuss them out and leave them. Oh, y'all going to be lost. Forget it. He didn't say nothing like that. He remains calm. And rather than get excited and frustrated, he's trying to figure a way to relate to these folks. Where I am and not, not got that done. And I'm just trying to share some of that thinking and responsibility with us today. Because we have a horrible, tremendous assignment. Uh, churches are becoming less populated every day. And people not only turning away from the Church of Christ and other fundamentalist bodies, etc., they're turning off on religion, period. Reading in the paper yesterday that the Lilly Foundation made a million dollar grant to Catalyst School of Theology at Emory. And the writer went on to say that the, the Lilly Foundation leadership says, uh, and, and all of that was done to attract young people to ministerial positions. And said, so well, now we know 
that in this day, it's going to be hard to get young people into religion. So they gave, and, and Candela has a program focusing on that. They didn't start one to get the, the foundation, the, the million dollars. They already had one, and, and Hillary Foundation said, we're going to give you a million dollars to try to be successful. But you, the, it's going to be real difficult to do it because young people are not turning toward the church. They're turning away. Now, that's a, that's a tremendous challenge for us. And, 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 and what I'm really trying to say, how do we get in the midst of all this stuff and do something constructive? How do we get people interested in what they ain't interested in? And that's the role of the New Testament church is it was born in that kind of day. And they spent their time trying to convince those folk. In Acts, the 25th chapter, I'd like to read that passage for consideration, 15 and 19. That's when Paul had been before the authorities and uh, twenty-five, I'm sorry, twenty-five nineteen. And I picked this passage to show you what people thought about the preaching of the resurrection. And it enhances, intensifies the job that Paul had. That's the 25th chapter and the 19th verse uh, where they were accusing Paul. And, and they were, uh, one of the uh, authorities or the kings had sent word uh, Paul up and, the, they, and they said they didn't understand why they had brought him up. And he said, but there was someone had a, verse 19, had a certain question about against him of their superstition and of one Jesus, how Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed was still alive. And the king wasn't interested about that. But the idea that I, I, I raised that because it lays before us how people of that day felt about that. We give birth Christ, resurrection Christ, primary role. And they didn't understand why they had Paul going up to Rome and how about a little simple question like that. And we don't believe in resurrection no way. That's what they're saying. Now, they took him and brought him after seeing where Paul was. And I, I consider this a little bit of progress. They brought him to Aripagus uh, in Mars Hill and uh, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is. They said, now, you got our, our concern going. Uh, can, can you tell us more about it? And uh, Paul stood in the midst of Eurypagus 
and said things that were strange to their ears. Now, they were interested not because they were already impressed with what Paul was going to teach because they haven't heard it yet, but he was saying something that interested them because they hadn't heard that stuff before. Because there is a text here trying to save time that says there were those in Athens who did nothing but spent the whole day listening or hearing or saying something new. So what will this babbler say? Let's listen to what he's going to say and see what impression that it makes on us. Uh, and when Paul came into Eurypagus, uh, and they gave him an opportunity to speak, and this is our opportunity to speak, uh, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now that's a direct hit on where they are. But he's getting his... He's licking, he's getting excited, he's getting their attention, and trying to at least. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions. I watched your worship and so forth, and I found an altar with an unknown, with an inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore we ignorantly worship. Him declare we unto you. The God that you don't recognize, but that you've got an inscription there to the unknown, in case we miss some God. That's how frivolous the whole thing was. And Paul has got to be smart enough to take advantage of that opportunity. He says, the one that you say out there, the unknown God, that's the God I'm proclaiming. And the God that I am proclaiming is the God who made the world. And all the things therein, since he's Lord of heaven and of earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is God worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything. He give it to all life and breath. We are in the same business of trying our best to get the world to understand the message of unity in Christ. The one Lord and Savior. The one New Testament church that we all Christians, that we need to seek a unity on the God. And it's a tough job that we have, but it doesn't relieve us of the obligation and the responsibility. Him we declare unto you. That's the God who made the world. Now he has wiggled his way into addressing them by following that path. He didn't have that opportunity at first but he's gaining an opportunity of an audience. And that makes it ever so important that we seize the opportunity of those that we're talking to and trying to lead, that we be careful that we retain that and that we do not lose them. We talk about hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, all true. But how do we make that happen? How do we cause it to happen? What steps must I take? The same that I must take with my wife and my children and everybody else. I hear some people who are very careful about dealing with error in the church and don't want to say too much too fast about that, but when we move outside the church, we want to hit them hard and knock them low. I had a fellow uh, I was talking to about that type of thing one occasion, and he mentioned some things going on in his church. And I said, well, how are you going to handle it? Well, now you've got to go easy with that. You've got to be easy. You've got to be careful. Uh, that you don't run them off. 
I got to be careful I don't run that denominationalist off, but draw him to me. And we have to be very careful in what we're doing. And we don't see that recklessness that sometimes we practice anywhere in the New Testament. Paul made his, made his defense. He's God that made the world and all the things therein. Seeing his Lord of heaven and of earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands. As though he, verse 25, as though he needed anything. See, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God is all God in all things. And that's the entity that we're pushing. I push that all the time. I put God first, push him out there first, and he owns the church to which I belong. The church is not first, God is first. And you got a man to recognize God, and then he recognizes what God owns and what God perceives. He's made the world and all the things that they're in. Great church, great fellowship, but we are not church worshipers. We are God worshipers, and we're in the church because we worship God. Then Paul made the third point. He has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and had determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord lest happily, I always like that verse, they may feel after him and find him. That is, you put on the search for God between my children and myself, when things go awry, search out where God may be. When you're dealing with your neighbor and community fellow women, search out for where God may be there. How that we can pull this thing together, how we can reach the people of this community in spite of their philosophies, in spite of their positions, in spite of what they believe. How can God, for God's sake, guide us through this tremendous territory and terrain? And we must have faith in him that he does. And I think that Paul's uh, approach to the Athenians is the kind of thing that we have to do. We're always trying to develop the grounds and, uh, and, 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 and set forth procedures that we can follow, ultimately to bring the man to Christ. He may be a thousand miles away, but how do I bring him to Christ? How can I not get offended by what he says about my church, my religion, or the group to which I belong? Paul moves totally beyond all of that. The fact that they rejected the resurrection didn't really make any difference to him because he's interested in them. And he's always promoting that concept. The resurrection, for instance, was a tremendously influential and powerful argument in New Testament days. And some people of the church never bought in on it. If you doubt that, read 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is defending the resurrection. And according to uh, 2 Timothy, Paul lost a mate or two because they didn't buy in the resurrection. Now, I'm not saying these things confuse us, but to confirm you in the faith, to lock your feet down. Look at 2 Timothy 
the uh, second chapter. And begin with verse 15 because there's a reference we all cut our teeth on. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a challenge I have, responsibility I have to rightly divide the truth. Then Paul goes on and says to Timothy, but shun profane and vain babbling, for they will increase into more ungodliness. How you keep your life straight, don't get off on all these frivolous arguments, but you kind of run a straight path and take, take yourself locked in directly on God. Otherwise, the, uh, uh, the, the philosophies will bury you. And that word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hermenus and Philippus, Philetus. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred. These were people in Paul's company. Paul says they have erred. Saying that the resurrection is past already. Now you know, you know that's like that's just like Johnson uh, on our preaching staff here. He gets up and starts saying the resurrection is already. What do I do with that guy? That's how close it is, right in there. And these people are going to travel around with Paul, but you start listening to these philosophers, etc., and so forth. You end up saying what they say. Because you cannot hardly get beyond a man's mind and what's in it. So you've got to attack him at the intellectual level and cause him to question what he believes and weigh in on it. Because those who have been immediate to the faith had been lost. In the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus was getting ready to give out the Great Commission. The reference says, and some doubted. The church has never had the privilege of operating with a company that was 100% for it. And that ought to give us hope and faith. Everybody in the society is never going to believe everything we believe, but that doesn't, that's not what weighs in on it. We've got to be convinced and follow that. There are the people who had followed Jesus who should have believed, they didn't believe. 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, they didn't believe. And Paul had to argue and defend the resurrection. So we're always in binds. And we must be able to buttress ourselves, prepare ourselves, and be equipped to meet the circumstances. And one of the ways I think that you do that is, as Paul has done it here, he asks questions. He keeps the conversational level going with people. And he's not totally bent out of shape because somebody doesn't believe what he believed, and neither, neither does it affect his conviction. That might be those of you in the audience this morning whom I'd like to see accept Jesus Christ as Lord, walk down the aisle. If you have strayed from the faith and haven't lived as you ought to have lived, rededicate your life to Christ fully because you depend fully on him. He is your source. He is your hope. And recommit your life to Christ and uh, live faithfully in the church and be a useful servant of God. And I'd like to push us a little bit beyond that, just being in the church. Actively representing God every day of your life and all that you do. That God does not have a bench warmer 
He's got somebody who's representing him, and it's, this is important that you represent Christ. I represent Christ as it was that Paul represented Jesus Christ. And I've said before and say again that the commandments of God to us are just as important as they were to Jesus Christ, just as important as they were to uh, Paul or anybody else, because God doesn't make any foolish commandments. He does not deal in frivolities. He means what he says, and I'm obligated to obey. And there's no more room for me in heaven if I disobey God than he was the rank sinner. I must keep my life in line with him. So I'm challenging you for that today. If you're here not a member of the church, you never accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe you uh, uh, fit in where the Epicureans and the Stoics were. Uh, maybe you have some of those problems. It's not, it's not uncommon. If they had them way back there, right at the resurrection, right at the time of Christ, it's not unusual that we would have them. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody about what you believe in because you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. I was taught that. I'll follow through on that. But I try to keep an examining board out there all the time to question that. Now, sometimes our brethren becomes unhappy with you examining some of these things, but it is not beyond examination because if God be God, God wins every time. I'm a strong believer in that. So uh, if you're here today and would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and into your heart and your life and give him the controls. I like to emphasize that. Give God the controls. Some of the things I'm weak on and not where I ought to be, I can be brought to be because God has the controls. When my faith is weak, God has the controls. I don't have any problem with questioning God about anything we do not understand, but always be ready to take his answer. I think our problem in questioning God is when we question him and we have the answer. And I think I'd like to see God say about us, as he said about Job, he maintained his integrity. He maintained his integrity. And Gave the devil every break he wanted to with him because God believed in Job's integrity. And even when Sister Job ended up with the wrong side, Job still held his integrity. And will I only accept God in moments of blessing and not accept him in times of adversity? My God, for some of us, is somebody who's always is an entity that's always doing what we need to have done. When it doesn't go that way, we, then we question him. But Job said, I don't question God under any circumstance. And that's what you're going to have to come to. I don't invite you just to walk down the aisle and uh, be baptized for the remission of sin. I want you to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want at least as much as your spouse got when you stood there and said, I do. My wife expected total fidelity out of me when I made the promise. And at least I can give God that. And that's something I can't say I can't do. I just did it with my wife. You just did it with your husband. And as I like to say, and there are those of you who never question that relationship once it's made. You never question the obligation. You never question whether it was right to violate it. Because it was a part of the systemic acceptance that you made. Made once and forever. 
And my relationship, our relationship with our wives and our spouses and others controls our decisions. Because it's in the light of that integrity that we stand. So if you're here today who would be humble enough to accept Jesus Christ, put him on in the water with grave of baptism and rise therefrom and walk with him in a brand new life and become a whole new creation. You are God's agent. You are God's hope. You are the expected fulfillment of God's will. He doesn't go any further than us to get his will done. I don't mean me or you, but humanity. For that purpose he's created, and we can ill afford to fail him. Let's stand together. Brother Bradshaw will lead us in a hymn of invitation. If you hear, we ask that you go. Home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will thy roll, Father, Father away? Calling today. is calling the weary to rest, calling today, calling today, bring him the burden and thy shall be blessed, he will not turn thee away, calling today, calling today. Says, calling is tenderly calling today. Jesus is waiting, oh, come to him now. Waiting today, waiting today. Come with thy sins at it, feel only Come and no longer delay. Calling today, calling today, Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today. Jesus is pleading, oh, listen to his voice. Hear him today, hear him today. They who believe in his name shall rejoice. Quickly arise and awake. Calling calling today, calling today, and change. Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today, calling to calling today, calling today, and Jesus is calling, is tenderly. 
calling today. I am resolved no longer to linger to yawn by the world's delight. Think that a higher thing that are noble and these have alluded my side. And I, I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free, hasten glad and free, and Jesus is raised up. Yes, I will come.